Amen. Praise God. Good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for that beautiful song. Sound like some of you knew that song. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Amen. It's great to see you. Welcome to those in the chapel and those that are with us online. We welcome all of you. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. While you're turning there, let me remind you that Wednesday night, Pastor Nathan will be sharing uh, the plan that we're going to be working on and implementing in Dallas for the church plant. So if you're interested in how that's going to work and what's that look like, you don't want to miss Wednesday night. It's going to be a little bit of the nuts and bolts on how we're going to uh, implement a plan to plant a church outside of Dallas, Texas. They're moving July the 17th. And uh, this whole uh, go into all the world thing is now hitting close to home. My daughter's leaving on July the 17th, and our son is leaving on July the 29th. Lord, I didn't mean us. <laughs> Amen. But it's great, to, it's great to, I'd rather my kids be in the center of the will of the Lord 10,000 miles from home than serving the devil next door. Amen. Amen. And uh, so we rejoice in God's plan. We're talking about the journey. This morning, I want to talk about how you get out of the desert and into Canaan land in your walk with the Lord. Have you ever known anyone, a believer, that just seemed to be at a different place in their experience with the Lord? They experienced more intimacy with the Lord, it seems more influence in their prayers, more love for people, more joy and confidence, more power in their service. The gifts of the Holy Spirit that they were gifted with seemed to be really, truly, powerfully spirit-led and empowered. They were able to pray and love people, pray for and love people who were unlovable, and just downright mean to them. You ever met anybody like that and wondered to yourself, what's up with that? Was, was Mother Teresa born that way? Did she come out with a halo on her head? You know, what is it about, what is it? We're fascinated with success in America, and it's, the church is not immune from that. And so the church in the church world, pastors, churches are fascinated with how we become exceptional. Now, I believe that God measures success different than we do. Amen. But I do want to talk this morning about how to be successful and how to be blessed as the, in the way that God counts success and blessedness, and how to be a person who attains the whole will of God for your life. We've been on this journey the past few weeks, and this sketch has been a little bit of our guide. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 on May the 5th, we began this little series when we preached that Paul said to us that the things that happened to the children of Israel on their way from Egypt to Canaan were done as examples for us on our Christian journey. So we've kind of used that as an overlay 
to the, to the experience of walking with the Lord. We've been going actually through the book of Romans, trying to understand what that looks like. We preached on the place where we all begin, the place of sin, Egypt, Romans chapter 1, 16 through chapter 3, verses 21 or 23. We preached on redemption, which Paul talks about in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, through Romans chapter 5, verse 21. Aren't you glad that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and parted the Red Sea so we could get out of Egypt? We woke up on the east side of the Red Sea and celebrated after our conversion, said, hallelujah, I'm saved. Life is going to be perfect now. And Moses said, welcome to the desert. And then we looked at the desert of the battle that exists between the flesh and the spirit in Romans 6 and 7 and 8. Last week we took a little break and went Father's Day. This morning, I want to go to the Jordan River in the book of Romans. The Jordan River, how do you get out of the desert? The Jordan River separated the desert from the land of Canaan. How do you get out of the spiritual desert crossing the Jordan River? How do you get from there to the place where God intends for you to be? Romans chapters 1 through 11 are a long, beautiful, deep doctrinal statement. The Apostle Paul is doing theology for 11 chapters. He's talking about sin and and salvation and the spirit and the flesh. And he's talking about the sovereignty of God. If you were wondering what's in 9, 10, and 11, it's the sovereignty of God and the power of God. Romans chapter 12 through 16 moves from the theological to the practical. So the first 11 chapters of Romans are theological discourses on the fact that God has pronounced judgment on sin, sent his son to die for sin. All who have faith are born again and baptized with Christ and raised to newness of life and we wrestle with the flesh but thanks be to God there's now no condemnation to those who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh and God has given us victory and we are more than conquerors through all of those horrible things and then he uses the Old Testament as an illustration talking about God's sovereign hand on the people of Israel and how God's got his sovereign hand on us and then he gets to the end of that and he says now 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 I want to tell you what this looks like in blue jeans on Tuesday. I want to show you the Apostle Paul I believe is doing is he's showing how to cross the Jordan River from the desert of drought and doubt and discouragement to a land, a Christian life that flows with milk and honey. Is that not what we all really want? We want to be in the center of God's will. Is that your heart's desire this morning? Just a couple of us, or is that your heart's desire this morning? A good place to say, man, you dropped the ball right there. Isn't that our heart's desire? Don't you want to know that I'm living and dwelling in the place that God has for me? And I'm doing the work that God wants me to do. And I'm doing it by the power that God has for me. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Those two verses are the pivot point 
between the theological discourse and the practical outliving of the things of God. I believe Romans 12, 1 and 2, I believe that is the Jordan River in the Christian life in this study. Look at it with, with me, if you would, please. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. The key to being able to live out, effectively live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in my life every day is Romans 12, 1 and 2. We call it the deeper life. I want to walk through here this morning and try to answer these questions. How do we get out of the desert into the land of abundance how do we move from spiritual immaturity to maturity, from salvation to sanctification, from barrenness to being fruitful, from weakness to power, from doubt to victory? How do you cross that river? Paul, I believe, I be, I believe Paul's giving us some, uh, a hinge point, a pivot point in his teaching. He's 11 chapters of theology, now he's transitioning, and this is his pivot point. We just read it. Let me give you what I think he says. First of all, he's giving us a gentle appeal as believers to go somewhere further in our walk with the Lord. A gentle appeal. I chose that word because I believe it best describes the grammar and the words that Paul is using. He says in these verses, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. There are two components in that little phrase in chapter 12, verse 1, and they are, first of all, a personal encouragement, not a forceful command. Can I just say here this morning that if you're a Christian and you've been born again and God lives in your life and the Holy Spirit is in your heart and you, you are, your name is in the book of life and you're walking with the Lord, can I just tell you the Apostle Paul knows he doesn't have to say you ought to do what the Lord wants you to do because there's a natural inclination and a hunger through the power of God. You have a hunger to do the will of God. And if you have no hunger for the will of God, you need to get saved. Amen. And so the Apostle Paul doesn't say, do this. He says, I appeal. It's, a word, it's the word that is used in John's gospel for the, for the Holy Spirit. It's parakaleo. I come alongside of you and I encourage you. I it's a gentle appeal to hungry people that we ought to walk forward to all that God has for us. The second component of Paul's, oh, let me say this to give you a better illustration of what he's saying. In the book of Philemon, the apostle Paul uses the same word, and listen to how he explains the word appeal. He says in Philemon verse 10, I appeal to you, my child, for my child Onesimus. He's talking to Philemon about helping this guy. And he says, I appeal that you will help Onesimus. And he uses the word appeal. And this is how he explains it in verse 14. I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm just 
coming alongside of you who are already saved and have experienced the 11 chapters of the mercy of God that I've just talked about. And given all of that, here's what I really think you ought to be hungry to do. Amen? If you have a hunger for Egypt or a hunger for the desert, you need to let the work of God work in your life and change your appetites. Amen. There ought to be a natural inclination, a hunger in the life of the Christian. No believer should need to be threatened into the deeper life. They should go in hungry. It's a little bit like your spouse coming home from work. They've worked 12 hours today. They ate a banana for breakfast and skipped lunch. And they walk in the door and you say, you need to eat something. No, what you say to them, what Paul is saying is, hey, honey bun. You want to go to Cancun Mexican restaurant? I'm going to get two free meals out of that if I tell. No, no, no. A person who's alive is naturally hungry, right? And the Apostle Paul doesn't have to say, all you Christians need to be. He doesn't have to say that because if we're walking with the Lord, there's a hunger in our heart to do what God wants us to do and to do the will of God. And he just comes along and says, hey, honey bun, you want to go to Cancun? Hey, guys, I appeal by the mercies of God. The second piece of that is an appeal based on God's mercies that he's been illustrating in the first 11 chapters. Think about it. He goes 11 chapters, as I said, on theology. He's talked about the mercy that God has shown on this world in spite of sin. He shows the mercy of God in sending his son, the mercy of God in salvation, the mercy of God in giving us victory over the flesh by the spirit, the mercy of God in the midst of our suffering, the mercy of God to make us more than overcomers and nothing can separate us from the love of God, a mercy that saves and keeps its promise, a mercy that is beyond our comprehension. Listen to how the the apostle Paul closes chapter 11 right before chapter 12. This is what he says as he comes to the end of the doctrine talking about all the mercies of God. You see them on the screen. All the things that he's talked about. Listen to how he ends. He ends like this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how... And, uh, and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. He, he, he writes 11 chapters of theology and when he gets done writing, he's now dictating in a tape recorder walking around his office. That's an exaggeration, but... He's crescendoing with, oh, how amazing. And then he says, turns to the people. He got caught up in a moment of worship. How unsearchable are the riches and the glory of God. And then he turns to the people and says, hey, folks, I appeal to you. Because of all the mercies of the last 11 chapters, I want to encourage you to do something. Are you with me this morning? We're talking about the courage, gaining the faith and the courage to step out of the desert and into the Jordan River so that God can lead us to some place that we've never gone before for his glory. This is Paul's message. Secondly, in these verses, Paul calls all Christians to a reasonable response. The reasonable response. And this is what he says. He says, I I encourage you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul has laid down the the foundation 
of, on behalf of all the mercies of God. Now, here, listen, here is our reasonable response to God because of all that he's done for us. And the reasonable response is, you see it on the screen, and that is to give ourselves completely to the Lord. To give our mind, our heart, our ambitions, our possessions, our plans, our attitudes, our sinful carnality, to give it all to the Lord. It's a declaration it's, he's actually using an Old Testament picture of bringing a sacrifice and laying it on the altar. In the Old Testament, they would kill the animal. They would lay it on the altar. There were these, there was these, there were these hooks that would, on the side that kept it from sliding off. How many of you know that we like to get off the altar? But the Lord is saying, and Paul is saying, I want you. We're not, we're not offering the sacrifice for our salvation. Jesus has already done that. We are now offering ourselves as a sacrifice and surrender to the Lord so that he can use us in a powerful way in his service. This is the, this is the reasonable response. It's, it's reasonable. It sounds balanced and logical and rational to Paul, but to the American Christian, this is radical. It sounds, the, the Apostle Paul, back up a slide if you would, Mikhail. The Apostle Paul uses the English word that we get the word logical from. It's the logical thing. Of course it's the logical thing. God had mercy on us when we were sinful. God sent his son who died for us in our place. God redeemed us from sin. God has defeated the flesh and filled us with the Holy Spirit. God said, I'm going to work all things together for good to those who love me. And nothing shall separate you from the love of God. God has done all of this. Of course it's reasonable for us to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Amen? But it's radical. It's radical because we have a Christianity that says, I want God to stamp my, eternal, my uh, eternal destiny ticket, and I want God to help me when I'm in trouble and bless the plans that I create, and other than that, Lord, I'll call you when I need you. Is that not American Christianity? But the Lord says, no. Paul says, here, what do you say? But the Jordan River's scary. It's deep and wide. This is deep, isn't it? And this is wide. But this is the path. The response to the unsearchable riches of Christ is for us who've received this great mercy to yield completely ourselves to him. He says, I want you to present your bodies. It means to give your whole life, your whole being, physical, mental. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Thessalonians, that the Lord will sanctify your whole spirit, soul, and body. He says, I want you to give your bodies, your eyes, your tongue, your hands, your feet, your motives, your ambitions as instruments of righteousness, as for the purposes of God. Bodies are not holy because of what they look like or because of how they are shaped. Bodies are holy because of how they're used. And we're to give all of ourselves to the glory and the purposes of God. We're talking about sanctification here. This is what this is, the, the, the sanctifying work of God. And let, me, let me give you a definition, and I'll expand it in just a moment. If you were in Connects yesterday, this is, a, uh, this is sort of a, a repetition, and so the Lord must really need you, knows you need to hear this. Okay. So sanctification has two primary meanings in the Bible. The first meaning is the meaning to set apart. And it means, it's, it's, it's this meaning, so that if I tell the audiovisual team, this microphone right here is not to be used for anything except this choir. 
Don't use it for the school. Don't use it for the hayride. Don't, what, I don't want you to do this on the hayride. But anyways, don't use it for the fall festival. Don't use it for any. Use it only for this choir. This thing is set apart for this purpose. In the Old Testament, it meant to set something apart from that which was common or unholy and set it apart to that which was holy. God would say, this candlestick is only to be used for my purposes. That meant it was sanctified. It was set apart to something holy from something unholy. The Apostle Paul in verse 1 of Romans chapter 12 is talking about this idea of sanctification. He's saying, I want you. You've been saved. By the mercies of God and all that he's done in your life. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to declare yourself set apart from all that is unholy and set apart for that which is holy and the purposes of God. That's what it looks like for a Christian in 2019 to climb up on the altar of self-sacrifice and surrender to the Lord. It simply says, Lord, my life belongs totally to you. It's an act of the will. It's an act of faith. And it's the doorway to victory. It's the doorway to victory. There's not a marriage that couldn't be solved if the couple wouldn't walk through this. There's not a habit that couldn't be broken if you wouldn't allow the Lord to walk you through this. There's no sin too tall, no no burden too great. Listen, I'm not saying when you get to Canaan, it's all pie in the sky because there are enemies over there and there's battles over there. But I want to know when I'm fighting an enemy that I'm in the place where God wants me to be so God will fight my battles for me. Amen. As long, as long as God is with us. This idea of sanctification. Paul is saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to declare this day that, Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for all the mercy you've shown on my life. And my reasonable response is to say, Lord, I'm now sanctified. I set myself apart. I yield my hands, my mind, my motives, my ambitions, my cars, my kids, my future, everything. It's yours, Lord. And you can do with me what you want. The next thing Paul talks about Let me just say this. God calls us to make a choice about the way that we will live for him. But Paul gives us, thirdly, the ongoing process of transformation in all believers. He continues and says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind. The word transformed is the Greek word metamorph. It's where we get the English word from. It's the word that Jesus was described by on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where he said we are being changed. We are being changed into the same, into the same image from glory to glory. So here's the deal. There is, a, there is a reasonable response which is an act, a decision of the will, an act of faith that says, Lord, I surrender my whole life to you. And then there is the ongoing process of transformation in the life of believers where we are, we are being transformed into the image of Christ and not being conformed to the image of this world. If you've been in church more than 30 minutes in your life, some preacher has told you that the word conformed means don't let the world press you into its mold. And that's a good description of it. 
I was trying to explain that in the early service about how you make Christmas cookies, but it came evident that I didn't know how to make Christmas cookies before I got done with the illustration. I'm like, you wad up the dough and you put it in the thing. No, you don't. You roll it out and smash it. So anyways, I don't do Christmas cookies, but you understand. He says, don't allow the world to push you, squeeze you, mold you in its image, its philosophies, its behaviors, its responses, its sinfulness. Don't do that. Can I just say, we need to get a divorce from sin in the church. Amen? Sin is not our friend. Sin is our enemy. And the, the, the Lord is saying, Paul is saying that the ongoing process is that we're going we're gonna, to, it's a process of resistance and repentance, not allowing ourselves to be conformed to the patterns, thinking, philosophies, and behaviors of this world. It's a process of yielding and growing, being transformed, changed into something that we were previously not. If you are the same, exactly same today as you were 10 years ago in your walk with the Lord, you're not living this out because God is going to change you and transform you and mold you. Christianity is not a static existence. It's a dynamic period of growth. It is a process of learning when he says, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's our understanding of the truth of God through the word of God and through the spirit of God. It's the renewing of our mind. And the second meaning of this idea of sanctification, I told you the first meaning was when we yield ourselves, it sets something apart for the purposes of God. The second meaning in the Bible to the word of sanctification means to cleanse or purify. And this is really what's going on here in verse 2. In, in the first meaning, we are sanctified by yielding ourselves fully at a moment in time where we say, Lord, my whole life is yours, and we're probably going to have to call him back and do it again and again and again as life goes on. But yet there is this ongoing work that God is changing and molding and shaping us in his image. It's the continually molding and transforming into the image of Christ, and it's a lifelong process. Paul gives us this, and finally in these words, he gives us the incredible promise for all believers. Here's the amazing thing. Listen to me. You may discern what is the will of God, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. You can know it. You can know it. That, my friends, to know the will of God for my life and to live in the blessing, under the blessing of God, that by definition is the Canaan land walking in obedience and fruitfulness and effectiveness to think that we can live out you can live out you can live out the beautiful and the good will of God for our lives is not this the land of Canaan is not this the land of Canaan is not this what we almost deeply desire to know and do the will of God in our life by his power. This is the desire of every human heart. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is, this is, this is not common. I'm just saying, what I'm saying this morning is not common. We don't, we don't like to talk alike about this stuff a lot in the church. We like to leave people in the desert. I started this series several weeks ago showing you a statistic from George Barna by the quantifying process that he had in his statistic. He would say less than 2%, less than 2% 
are here. I don't know. It's 20,000 people, six-year study. I give him, he's a smart dude. I, I know this. I know this from pastoring that a lot of Christians have settled in the desert. They've settled in the desert. I'm not here to promise you pie in the sky. I'm just saying that if you want to be that person that we talked about a moment ago with intimacy and joy and confidence and strength and power and influence in prayer, that's all coming up in the book of Romans. That's all in the book of Romans after Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's a person who is united and fruitful in the spiritual gifts that is praying for those who persecute them. It's all right there. It's, listen, I'm not here this morning to do anything but to preach the word of God and to challenge our hearts to say, listen, listen, could we not close this day as we've done the previous two services with just opening our hearts? People have filled the front of this auditorium in both services. Could we not just say, oh Lord, I'm praying. I want the will of God in my life. Could we not just pray that together? I want Ben to come. I want us to stand. There's a song that was written about 175 years ago. You'll know it. A song written 175 years ago that says, Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer. These, I want you to, to, to sing this, but as we sing, if your heart is hungry this morning, your heart is hungry to know the will of God and you want to just say, Lord, I want to make a full surrender to you and commit my whole life to you. Would you come to the front as we sing? As we sing, would you come to the front and let's just pray together before we go. Ben, would you lead us in this this morning? Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer This is my constant longing and prayer Gladly I'll forfeit all of us treasures Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear Oh, to be like thee Oh, to be like thee Blessed Redeemer Pure as thou sing that next verse, but I love that last phrase, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Is that, isn't that a beautiful word? Oh, if your heart's hungry this morning, don't be bashful. Come as we sing the second verse and we're going to pray together. Oh, to be like thee, Lord, I am coming now to receive the anointing divine. All that I
together and no matter where you are you can pray let's just pray let's just make a simple prayer of surrender and yieldedness to the Lord and say Lord I want to move I want to go I want to die to myself so that I might live fully to you Lord we worship you this morning and we just bow before you O God to yield ourselves full completely to you I thank you for the hungry hearts that have been here throughout this day Oh, Lord, our, the spirit of hunger has been here this morning, and we worship you for that. Lord, it is truly our heart's desire to do the will of God completely. Lord, we're not trying to create an unreachable standard and an un, unbearable burden. We're just trying to walk in the fullness of your word. Where you said to make yield your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is the only rational thing to do after all you've done for us. And Lord, we're yielding ourselves so that you can transform us and so that we can experience the will of God in our life. Well, I pray for every hungry heart here today. Lord, you said, blessed are those which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. I pray that you would fill that one who is hungry this morning, saying, Lord... I want to do it your way. I want to live my life for your purposes. I want to bring glory and honor to you. Lord, I pray that you would make Eastlake a place that is wholly yielded to God. From the leadership and the elders and the teachers and the staff and the service, those who serve, Lord, we pray. Oh, that there would be a mighty army of women and men who are yielded fully to the purposes of God. Lord, we know that when we, when we serve the flesh, we'll get what the flesh can do. But when we serve the Spirit, the Spirit of God will bring joy and blessing, fullness and power. And Lord, we need power this morning. We need anointing this morning. Lord, we, you've called us to a great vision and we can't do this in the flesh. And Lord, we can only do it through your power. We just yield ourselves to you, Lord. We don't ask you to help us. You, we ask you to help us to help you. Lord, help us to know how to help you, O oh God. Give us the Spirit of God. Anoint us, O oh God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Cleanse us of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, I pray, so that we might be instruments useful to God's purposes and his glory. Lord, every, every prayer that's prayed this morning, that's crying out for you, would you answer it by your grace and by your power? And we pray this right now in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at EastlakeSML. Thanks for joining us.